welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us this weekend. We're finishing up our series on realignment that's taken us through the month of October. Just a reminder, you do not want to miss first Wednesday in November. Our lead pastor, Pastor Greg, is back preaching this first Wednesday, so you do not want to miss it. Join us at our Tampa campus on Wednesday at 7 p.m. And now here's the final installment for our realignment series. We're so glad you joined us today. Isn't it awesome to see our lead pastors back in the house on the platform today? Praise God. It's so good. You do not want to miss this Wednesday, first Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Pastor's going to be preaching. It's going to be powerful. And one more time, can you show them your appreciation? We love you, Pastor Greg, Pastor Tamara. So glad you are back and feeling well. Well, I have the honor of closing out our series this month called Realignment. It's been an amazing month. We started out talking about the moral alignment, how we know right from wrong. And then Dr. Rutland came as a special guest, and he had such an encouraging word talking about the prophet Isaiah. I encourage you to listen to that, especially this week. It was so timely. And then Pastor Hector out of South Shore, give him a hand. Pastor Hector, you killed it. We loved your message on the open window of opportunity and how we have arrows of influence that we need to use as the church And then Pastor Jonas, he had the real light and easy topic of politics and religion. Amen? But Pastor Jonas, you killed it. Can you show him your appreciation too? What a way to do it with grace. And so as we close the series, I want to one more time return to this idea of Jesus as our foundation. And so my title for today's message as we close this series is a question, what is your foundation? What is your foundation? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, first of all, we worship you. We proclaim your name as holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We all give you all glory, praise, and honor. And Father, we pray that your presence be here at all of our campuses with everyone watching online. And God, most of all, that we hear your voice and we feel your presence, especially now in our country, in our homes, and in our churches. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So my wife and I, we recently started watching this show called Fixer Upper. You may have heard of it. It's with that Chip and Joanna Gaines couple. We're very late to the party, I know. (laughs) They've been doing it for a while. But we just started watching this show called Fixer Upper, and and we love seeing these transformations of these old houses. And here's a picture from one of the episodes that we saw recently. And I just love the big reveal at the end, right? They show the house, and it just looks totally different than the paint and the accents, the wood, the furniture. All of it is just beautiful. And there was this one episode where they actually didn't do a remodel. They chose to do a new construction from the ground up. And what I thought was so interesting is you see the whole process from the very start where it's just land to the whole house. And early on in the process, this is what it looks like when you pour the concrete slab. That's it. That's the whole house at that point. But that is the foundation. That's cement that's poured as the foundation. And what's funny is when they do the big reveal at the end, you never hear one of these couples say, man, that foundation is beautiful. I love the way that foundation looks and the way it matches the paint colors. You never hear that because you don't see the foundation. When the whole house is built and you see all the furniture in the rooms, you don't see this part. But let me tell you, this is the most important part of the house because what happens when the foundation of your house is messed up? when there's a sinkhole in the area, when there's some water damage that's weakening the foundation, all the attention then goes to the foundation because you know the entire structural integrity of that house depends on the foundation. 
Because if your foundation is not good, you're going to have a house that looks like this, unfortunately, a little crooked. We don't want that kind of house. But when you don't give attention to the foundation, this is what happens. If that foundation is weak or it's broken or was never built correctly in the first place, that house will not stand. In 1989, Ohio State University unveiled its new Wexner Center for the Arts. We actually have someone on staff who went to Ohio State and they went to the Center of the Arts so they can attest to it. But in 1989, they unveiled this building and the architects, they called it the first postmodern building. And what do they mean by that? Postmodern means truth is relative. You can have your truth, I have mine. There's not really any eternal purpose or ultimate purpose to life. So we're going to build a building that mimics that. And so parts of the building are unfinished and purposeless. That's why they have this scaffolding on the outside. And if you look on the inside of the art center, you would see stairs that go nowhere, walls that serve no purpose, art that's just random. That's the inside of this place. But here's my question for the architects. Did you treat the foundation the same way? Did you treat the foundation as though it was some purposeless or meaningless aspect of the building? I wager they did not. I bet they carefully measured and made sure it was level and poured the concrete so they knew it would have a sturdy foundation to stand on for years to come. You see, our culture thinks that we can erode the foundation of our lives, erode the foundation of our belief systems, and still have a great house. We think that your foundation, you can build it however you want. It can be this way. It could be a little crooked, and everything will be fine. And I'm here to tell you today that the foundation is the most important part, and the foundation of your life needs to rest on Jesus Christ. So if you would turn with me, we're going to spend some time in the book of Matthew today. Matthew, it's the first book of the New Testament, the first gospel, and there's several parables in this book that I believe illustrate this so well. And so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 24. If you've been in church for any amount of time, this story might sound familiar. So Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 24. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and its collapse was great. And when Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Once again, Jesus is affirming that to build your house on the rock, to have the firm foundation, you must base it on the words that he is speaking. And I think it's so interesting that Jesus is making a distinction in this verse, not between those who hear the words and don't hear the words. Listen closely. The distinction is those who hear the words and act on them and those who hear the words but don't act on them. You see, it's not enough to just hear the word week after week. You actually have to act on them. Your house actually has to reflect the words of Jesus. Your life actually has to reflect his commandments. You have to act on the words, not just hear them. And so what does it look like to have our life be founded on Jesus Christ? That's my first point. Number one, is Jesus the foundation for your life? Is Jesus the foundation for your life? 
And to help you illustrate how we think about what does it mean to have our life rooted in Jesus, I have an illustration here, a little diagram. It's two circles, and if you look at the life of an Orthodox Jew or even an Orthodox Muslim, they see their faith as all-encompassing and their day-to-day life as a small portion of that. You see, their life is dictated by their faith. For the Jew, once it's Shabbat on Friday night, they don't make fire, they don't work, they don't do certain things. Everything is dictated by their faith. The same with the Buddhists. But for here in America, as Western Christians, we have this backwards. We have it as our life, as this big circle where our day-to-day life and what we want to do, go ahead and switch to that next one. Everything we choose to do is in this big circle. We just decide whatever, and we put our faith in the corner. And we say our faith, well, it's good on the weekends, and I listen to a couple worship songs in the car, but I'm not going to let it affect my entire life. I don't want it to affect all the decisions I make. I don't want it to affect the TV shows I watch. I don't want to let it affect the music I listen to. I just want it in this corner, and I can pet it when I want to. To build your life on the foundation of Christ, we need to flip the paradigm. We need to base it on faith and have our life act accordingly. Amen. Amen. You know, I wonder if culture doesn't take Christianity seriously because Christians don't take their faith seriously. Of all the religions that you see talked about in culture, there's a respect for these other religions. I wonder why not Christianity. I think it's because we're not basing our life in our faith. Stay with me in Matthew, and let's go to chapter 22. Chapter 22 in Matthew, starting with verse 34. This is, again, Jesus talking, and he's going to give us the blueprint for what it means to have a foundation in Jesus Christ. I love hearing those Bible pages turning. That's nice. Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 34. This is, again, Jesus. And the Pharisees come up to Jesus. They're always trying to trip him up. He's always got the best answer. And the Pharisees said this, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together and one of them, an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? You see, they were trying to trip him up because they knew there's over 600 laws in the Old Testament. And so they wanted Jesus to pick just one and so they can trip him up and they could say, well, what about this one? And what about the Sabbath? And what about food? And what about that? They tried to trip him up, but watch what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and this is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now, before I go on, I want to read that one more time because there's an important part here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the greatest. Everybody say greatest. And most important, say most important, important. command. And the second, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the priority and the importance is key. We live in this culture, and many places Christianity has been watered down to this, where it's about loving other people first and God second. That we want to be able to affirm lifestyles, and we want to be able to say this is okay, and we put God second. But you see, Jesus made it very plain. He said the greatest commandment, the first in priority, is to love the Lord your God. And so if he says that something is not right, our feelings take a backseat. Our feelings take second place. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so what does that mean? 
If we love God, what does it mean? Well, John 14, 15 makes it super easy. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So love the Lord your God is most important. And if you love him, you will keep my commandments. Now, here's the thing. If you feel like your life just totally aligns with God's commandments and you don't need to change a thing, you might need to check yourself. Because we all have a nature that is contrary to the spirit. We all have desires to want to do things that are contrary to what God commands. It's just human nature. It's a fallen nature. And so if we think that our life just perfectly aligns to these commandments already, check yourself, right? And so what are some of these commandments? What are some things that we can say these are 100% things that God is telling us to do or not do? How about we start with 10? Let's go to Exodus 20, and you could just see them on the screen. The Ten Commandments. Jesus did not come to earth to do away with these Ten Commandments. He came to fulfill them. I'm going to show you why. If you don't remember, the Ten Commandments, these were given to Moses, written on a stone, not in sand. Come on, somebody. It was written on stone, so it couldn't change, not in sand. And he said, have no other gods before me. Have no idols before me. Don't take God's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. And then honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet or envy. And what's so interesting about these commandments is they fit so neatly into what Jesus said. Love God, that's one through four, and love people. Isn't that so interesting? Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love people as yourself. Now, let me make it a little more practical. Again, we need to make sure that our faith is instructing how we live our life. And so if we're not sure how much income we want to report on our taxes, we got to remember, don't steal. I'm sorry, that was a big toe I just stepped on, wasn't it? I'm sorry. If that show we're watching on Netflix is making us commit adultery with our eyes, maybe we need to stop watching that show. That was another toe, I'm sorry. And these are even more important. If that hobby is taking more time and taking priority over your family, God, and your worship, you might have an idol before him. If you are seeking other people's approval before the approval of God, you might have a God before him. These apply even today, church. These still stand. We need to love God and love people. And it's not just do's and don'ts. Galatians 5.22 gives us even more things that our life should be reflecting. Galatians 5.22 is the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, if we consider ourselves Christians, the aim is to be Christ-like. And if that is true, our life should look different than those around us. You see, so many Christians live as practical atheists, where their lives are not changing to reflect the Word of God. Our lives should be oozing these things of love, joy, peace, patience. When we're on I-4, amen? (laughs) We need to have love, joy, peace, patience come out and not the other. Our lives should be such that our coworkers and our families see something different in our lives and then ask us why. And we can tell them it's the hope of Jesus Christ because he's our foundation. And everything in my life comes from what he tells me to do. A couple more practical examples. We should look at how we spend our time, what we sacrifice, the priority we place on worship, and make decisions from faith first. Are we making time to read the word and worship? Are we sacrificing things for God the priority we place on worshiping corporately and personally, and the decisions we make, are we making sure they line up with Scripture? Even this week, 
Again, Pastor Jonas did a graceful job with a difficult topic, but it's so important that our faith even include things like our politics. They must stem from our belief in Jesus Christ. We can't push faith to a side when we're making this decision. It has to instruct everything we do. I'm troubled because I've seen so many messages from other churches and other organizations, and I thank God not this one. This church stands for what is right and is not ashamed to say that this is God and this is not. I praise God for that. But so many other places I've seen this mixture, a watering down. And I saw this email come from a Christian organization, a large organization, many emails went out, and the headline was this, the perfect blend of church and politics. That was the headline, the perfect blend of church and politics. And it bothered me for several days. I said, this doesn't feel right. What's not right about it? And then I remembered, it's simple. God doesn't blend. God doesn't blend with anything. God said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's no one beside him. There's no one before him. He is all there is. God doesn't blend. You can't try to fit a certain thing that you want into Scripture. You can't read Scripture and it tells this person one thing and this person something else. Scripture stands alone. As we're talking about a foundation, I had to use this illustration of the Tower of Pisa. Maybe you've seen a picture of it. Maybe you've even been there. It's a little lopsided in case you can't tell. But construction began in 1173. This is almost 800 years old, this building. But in 1989, the Italian government had to close it from tourists because they were afraid it was going to collapse. It wasn't built with this in mind. It wasn't built to be at an angle. After the construction began, the foundation on one side was weak, and that's what made it tip over. And so as they were trying to figure out how do we salvage this building, in 1989, someone proposed, we'll just drill 10,000 holes in the tower to reduce its weight. <laughs> Realize that's a bad idea. Another proposal was to build an exact replica of the tower from the other side leaning against it. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> Why go through such extraordinary lengths? Because to repair the foundation was costly. The foundation was going to cost $27 million to repair. And after all those schemes and after all those ideas, the Italian government said, we have to spend the money. They spent $27 million to repair the foundation, and it reopened in 2001. And you see, I'm going to try and do this, this image right here. Let's see. Can I hold it up? <laughs> right, okay. All right, you ready? So often, we will jump through so many hoops to change Scripture so we can keep living the way we're living. We say, no, that verse doesn't really say that. No, Jesus didn't really mean that. That TV show's not really that bad. That music I'm listening to is not that bad. Let me just prop it up here. No, you have to change your foundation. You have to change how you're living your life. You know, Jesus did not come down to break every wall that God put up in the Old Testament. The laws that God put in place in the Old Testament were there for a purpose. Jesus came to fulfill them, not to wipe them away. I want to remind you of the verse that we read before. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest. Everybody say greatest. greatest. And most important, say most important. most important. Command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets depend on these two commands. One more illustration for this point. I don't know if you know what a plumb line is. A plumb line is a tool used in construction. 
and you hold the plumb line against the wall and you measure the distance between the wall and the line to make sure the wall is perfectly vertical. It looks like this. And listen, gravity doesn't lie either, and so you hold it against the wall and you measure to make sure that wall is straight. And I believe this is the word, even for our culture today, as it was in Amos. The prophet Amos, the book in the Old Testament, in chapter 7, starting with verse 7, it says this, He showed me this. The Lord was standing there by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? I replied, A plumb line. And then the Lord said, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel, and I will no longer spare them. The Lord said, I am setting a plumb line among my people, and I will no longer spare them. You see, Scripture is clear on many, many issues, things that are right and wrong. And God's saying that Scripture is the plumb line, and I am measuring the life you are living right now against that plumb line. And listen, you should not feel condemnation for this. Let me tell you, there is a reason why there is grace and forgiveness, because God knew that we were going to mess up over and over again. And so this is not to condemn you, to make you feel bad. It's to tell you that with the power of Jesus Christ, you can live a life that is pleasing to him and do his work here on earth. I love this quote from Dallas Willard. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. What did he mean? We don't earn our salvation through works. It's not through toiling and sweating that we earn our salvation. Salvation is a free gift. But that's not to say that it's opposed to any effort. There is still effort that we need to put in as we strive to be Christ-like and righteous, holy and set apart. So the number one, is Jesus the foundation for your life? And a quick second point, is Jesus the source of your peace? Is Jesus the source of your peace? And I thought about flipping those things because the life, you know, is bigger than peace. But I feel like as we head into this week, specifically, there's so much worry, so much anxiety, so much fear that we need to talk about peace. Is Jesus the source of your peace? And so if you're still in Matthew, if you still have your Bible, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read this parable just one more time. Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 24. It's the same one we read, but we want to focus on a different part. It says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rains fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse. I just want to stop right there. Jesus didn't say, those who build their house on a rock won't have wind and won't have rain and won't have a storm come. He said, when the rains fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and it pounded that house, it didn't collapse. You see, when you have Jesus as the foundation for your peace, no matter what comes against you, no matter what storm or rain or wind, you know you can stand strong. It's not to say it won't come. It's to say that you have a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The same rain fell, the same rivers rose, the same winds blew and pounded that house, but it collapsed. And its collapse was great. Over and over again in the New Testament, Jesus and the Apostle Paul tells us, you're going to go through stuff. There's going to be times in your life and in through history that there's going to be a lot of unknown. There's going to be unsurety. There's going to be some angst. But if you build your house on the rock, 
No matter what financial storm comes, no matter what health crisis comes, no matter what marital trouble comes, if your house is on the rock, it will stand through the storm. You can be confident in Jesus Christ. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 3, 11. Take this as encouragement. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. You see, I think that verse is saying you can try to put gold and silver and costly stones on top of a faulty foundation, but the storm will reveal if your house is on the rock or on the sand. Another way of reading that verse is you can't put lipstick on a pig. That was for the Plant City campus, amen. You can tell me what that means later. I'll check with somebody. I think that's accurate. But you can't have this faulty foundation, but then dress up on Sunday and look the part and think you're going to withstand the storm. The foundation actually has to change, and it's costly, and you're going to have to make decisions about your life. You're going to have to change what you do. You might have to change your habits, but to do that, you are refortifying your foundation. There's this picture from 2008 when Hurricane Ike struck Galveston, Texas. When the hurricane struck Galveston, Texas, this one house stood and devastation surrounded it. But what I love about the story of this house, the only reason this house stood and every other house fell is because this house had damage in a previous storm. And the owner of this house had to repair it and refortify it so it could withstand a later storm. Do you get what I'm saying? The house had to go through a first storm so it could be refortified, so it could withstand the stronger storm. Let me say it one more time so everybody gets it. The house had to experience a first storm so it could be refortified to withstand the second storm. And I think that's a call for all of us. Even for those who've been in church a long time, We've considered ourselves Christians for a long time. Check the foundation. Make sure there's not some water damage. Make sure there's not a sinkhole opening up underneath the foundation. Refortify. Now is the time. The window of opportunity, like Pastor Hector talked about. Now is the time to refortify. And some of you who have never set the foundation in Jesus, now is the time to set it and to trust in Him. Be encouraged by this verse in Psalms 18:2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my mountain where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You see, don't take what I have said as I should worry about some later storm. No, no. Take it as if you fortify your house now, you never have to worry about a storm again. If your life is in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter the storm that comes then because you know your house will stand. Your house is your life, your family, your home. I would even say this country. It can stand the storm if it's based in Jesus Christ. I remember the old hymn. Maybe some of you remember it too. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. 
And I want to read the second verse too. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I first want to ask this question. Those of you, you've been in church a long time, you've been a Christian a long time, but you're saying, I need to refortify my foundation. I need to re-strengthen it. I need to get back to reading my word regularly, to worshiping regularly, to point my family in the direction of Jesus. If that's you at all of our campuses and if you're watching online, no one's looking around, I'd like you to just raise your hand so we can pray together. If that's you, raise your hand. I wanna refortify my house. I need to make the changes there. Heavenly Father, you see everyone with their hands raised. I'm including myself. Help us, Father, to refortify, to make you the rock, to make sure that there are no cracks, there's no water damage, there's no sinkhole opening up that we don't know about. No, everything that we do is based in you and you alone. We will follow you and nothing and no one else the rest of our lives. Amen. And if you would keep your head bowed and eyes closed just for a moment longer, And the second call is for anyone who you would say, I've never trusted Jesus Christ. I've never said, Jesus, you are my foundation. I want you to lead my life. I want everything I do to be based in you. If that's you, we're going to pray a simple prayer. You might have raised your hand a second ago, but you're saying, no, this is for me. This is the decision that I am making for the first time to trust Jesus Christ. We're going to pray a simple prayer. Everyone's going to pray it together so you're not alone. At all of our campuses and online, everyone says, dear Jesus... I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. Be my rock. Be my foundation. Teach me to follow you the rest of my life. We hope you've enjoyed our realignment series. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash crossing church, where you can see all of our previous on-demand messages. You can watch us live during services and more. And don't forget to follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at we are crossing. We can't wait to see you at one of our three campuses in Tampa, South shore and plant city this weekend or online at we are crossing.com. <laughs>